Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. Americans, at least patriotic Americans, are celebrating our nation's independence. Here to explain to us why it's so important to acknowledge, appreciate, and peacefully defend our independence beyond the 4th of July is Attorney David Shostokas. Mr. Shostokas ran as a Republican for Illinois Attorney General in the 2022 primary. He's the author of Constitutional Sound Bites and Creating the Declaration of Independence, both must-reads, and he is involved in efforts to ensure election integrity. So, David, beyond the fireworks and backyard barbecues, Americans should reflect on the Declaration and maybe take a deep dive into what it actually says. They absolutely should, Monty. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you, uh, your audience about this. Uh, it is something that people should study day in and day out, uh, the, re- the revolution, the reasons for the revolution, but it's all well put together in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, there's some interesting things about the Declaration of Independence. It was actually the very first time in, in human history that a country was going to be organized about around something other than familial tribal ties or absolute power, but rather upon a shared commonality of ideas, uh, which made it unique in, in history. Well, most Americans believe that our Constitution helps protect our freedoms, and of course it does, but you contend that we should not downplay the important role that the Declaration continues to play in preserving our freedom. Uh, absolutely correct, and because actually the Constitution is, uh, is a marvelous um, work of um, political ledger domain, if you will, in terms of uh, organizing it. But what the Constitution is intended to do is uh, execute the ideals that are found in the Declaration of Independence. Nobody goes out and dies um, so that the president can serve four years. Nobody goes out and uh, puts their life on the line so that uh, tax bills can originate in the House of Representatives. The uh, Constitution itself is a pretty mechanical a document, but the Declaration of Independence defines really what it means to be an American. So we should read the Declaration, teach it in our schools. Fond of talking about what I call the 55 words and uh, that define the American creed, and that's, uh, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that governments are instituted among men to secure these rights, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. July 4th, 1776, that American creed defined what it was, what kind of belief you would hold to be an American. We failed to teach that. Is it possible to change that in our government schools today? You know, the next uh, aspect of the Declaration of Independence following the American creed um, that ends with the consent of the governed follows up with uh, whenever a government fails to meet those ends, that it is the right of the people, in fact, the duty of the people to alter or abolish the government uh, and reform it so it may meet those ends. And uh, so I will tell you that it's pretty much a situation that the government school is not going to teach the people that, in fact, they have a natural right to revolution. 
that's the aspect of the declaration that keeps it out of the schools is they have a, that there's in fact a right to revolution when the government does not well that uh, sounds a f- little scary it is scary but you know what these guys they did that it did launch a revolution and strangely enough um, it didn't launch a revolution just uh, here in, in the United States since 1776 more than uh, over 120 new countries have uh, come into existence and more than a hundred of them announced their existence with a document modeled after the Declaration of Independence. What do you think members of our founding generation would have to say about what's going on in America today? We have a two-tiered justice system. Government has been weaponized against conservatives. Parents labeled by the Justice Department as terrorists. If they show up for a school board meeting and object to what's being taught to their kids at taxpayer expense, and now pro-abortion state lawmakers, our Illinois Attorney General, and our governor want to take steps that could conceivably shut down pro-life pregnancy care centers. Yeah, that sounds like the ultimate uh, reverse of freedom at the the last part of the Declaration of Independence in terms of what these guys pledged was, and they were serious when they said their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Uh, and uh, these things where uh, the government is... I would suggest being entirely unrepresentative of the people at large. You talked about some really big, important matters. But the fact is, is here in Illinois, every 1st of July, there's an automatic increase in the tax on gasoline. And can you imagine that there is any majority of the people of the state of Illinois in favor of automatically increasing gasoline taxes every year? The kinds of things that you're talking about, I do not believe that there is a majority of the people in favor of. This becomes problematic because, of course, one of the guarantees in the Constitution is that we have a, each state has a Republican form of government. And Republican form of government, with a small r, by the way, uh, indicates that it's a representative uh, form of government. And uh, so we don't have a democracy, by the way. We have a you know, constitutional republic. And I think that's where people get lost, and they keep trying to uh, say that we're a democracy, and uh, and we're not. And what we're supposed to be doing, actually, what the Constitution is really designed to do is protect the minority rights in terms of uh, political thought and uh, freedom of conscience. And we're not talking about equality necessarily. No, no, of course they knew, they knew people weren't uh, weren't weren't equal in uh, in their skills and their abilities, uh, whether it be mental or physical, otherwise. What we're talking about is equality before the law, uh, so that everybody is, in fact, treated the same when it comes to the application of the law. And when you start to ban activities that should be free activities, like you talked about uh, pregnancy counseling clinics and things of those natures, that certainly runs afoul of the First Amendment to begin with. Uh, And the First Amendment is designed to actually give people the ability to voice things that other people don't want to hear. And so this is this becomes really, really problematic. No, these guys would not be happy with the uh, turn of the country these days. Well, you talked about the pregnancy care centers. That's uh, related to State Senate Bill 1909. And I know the Thomas More Society thinks that they will have a strong case against that based on First, First Amendment. First Amendment, yes. You do too. Absolutely. No, I mean, there isn't anything more um, obvious of shutting down speech on pregnancy issues. I'm a little concerned that we're not in the business today of protecting our independence. It seems to get chipped away little by little here and there. You've got the Biden administration saying, we want to take away your gas stove. 
we want to put you in electric cars. What do we need to do to preserve our independence, our individual independence, our independence of our churches, etc.? How the problem lies is the folks that want to do these things, that want to control society, want to impose their will on society. They're organized. They have an agenda that they want to execute. Uh, the folks that don't, or that are actually against the agenda, um, for the most part, what their goal is, is to be left alone. Uh, and so it's difficult to organize folks whose goal is to be left alone. But if they do not um, get together and organize to protect their right to be left alone, they will not be left alone. Being left alone goes beyond how you vote, right? It, it, oh, yeah. It's everything. It's like being able to being able to buy um, gas to turn on your stove if, uh, if, the, uh, if the marketplace says that uh, you should be able to do that. Day in and day out, the decisions of life. Uh, so that it's, it's very difficult these days to not to walk out your door and break some law. I think you touched on a little bit, but I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, government intrusion in our lives, uh, COVID pandemic and governors, et cetera, shutting down uh, churches and schools, et cetera. So I want to get back to the founders. Yeah. You talked about what they had to say, but what advice would they give us today? about how we should respond to all that. I would suggest that it doesn't, one of the things that um, Jeff, Jefferson was full of different kind of wisdom uh, beyond writing the Declaration of Independence, but among those uh, things is um, an indication that it does not take a um, majority of the people to affect change or to protect rights, but rather a, a vocal and active minority. Uh, and uh, our problem is, is we're not vocal and in some respects not active in doing so. Vocal and active. Uh, it sounds simple, but it's a little complicated. If you're vocal, well, here's the government to say you're a terrorist. The, um, the government is becoming weaponized in, in many respects. Misapplication of the law or, you know, when we talked about equality, we talked about uh, all men are created equal. We're talking about before the law. And so if you do not enforce the law equally across the board, then, in fact, you're um, breaking the promise to America. This is Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Lyric with you. And I'd like to continue our conversation with David Shostokas right after this. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. A Harvard Business Review article once advised, forget PowerPoint and statistics. To involve people at the deepest level, you have to tell stories. Well, those hoping to defend innocent life should take note. Just a few weeks ago, a powerful story went viral on social media when a young father holding his infant daughter posted a confession. Quote, God, please forgive me. See this beautiful soul that I wanted to abort. Now, of course, there are millions out there who actually went forward with this terrible choice and who now know the full regret of abortion. The Silent No More Awareness Campaign is a place where these stories are told. I didn't defend the life of my own daughter based on misinformation, selfishness, fear, and shame, one man admitted. I let her die into an abortionist knife, and I died that same day. Those stories are hard to hear and harder to tell, but they need to be told. When that kind of evil's hidden, people become enslaved to guilt and shame. As Jesus said, it's the truth that will set us free. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. It's a big evening you don't want to miss. The Illinois Family Institute's Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet with best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio host Eric Metaxas. Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend... 
click events at IllinoisFamily.org. We're talking about religious freedom being constricted by the state. Will the church wake up and say, this is wrong? Eric Metaxas is the author of Bonhoeffer, Amazing Grace, and his latest book, Letter to the American Church, is a wake-up call for Christians to speak out and protect religious liberty. If you will speak up, things will change if we would but try. Eric Metaxas and the IFI Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet, Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larrick here along with David Shostokas. He is the author of a couple of very good books, Constitutional Sound Bites and Creating the Declaration of Independence. Dave, how do you pick up one of those books? Yeah, well, you pick either one of them or both are available on Amazon, both in print and in um, Kindle and electronic book formula. I just mentioned constitutional sound bites is just what it says it is. I used to do a radio show and we do um, promos for the show, uh, one minute of uh, constitutionally speaking. And so there's 150 Q&As. You know, sometimes people don't want to pick up a book about the Constitution, particularly written by a lawyer, because uh, they think it's going to be a big, long treatise. This has got 150 questions that have 80, 90 word answers. And uh, it's uh, you can open to any page. And uh, so it's, it's designed for the way people Learn today, like uh, like tweets and blog posts and stuff. Creating the Declaration of Independence is a completely different book because it follows uh, Richard Henry Lee, uh, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson in the month before the issuance of the Declaration of Independence and what went in to the writing and what they considered when they decided to uh, pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Democratic presidential candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. recently gave a very strong defense of the Constitution claiming that even in times of emergency, the Constitution should not be usurped. You believe that states, including Illinois, broke with the Constitution during the COVID pandemic. Absolutely. They absolutely did. And um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kennedy is, um, is quite correct in that. Uh, there are no pandemic exceptions to the Constitution. Uh, and how do we know that? Well, we know that because around 1775, smallpox out bro broke out during, uh, in, the, uh, in the colonies, and it raged across all of North America, as far south as Mexico, into, into Florida uh, and around. But the interesting thing about that is one out of every three people who got smallpox died. And it lasted until about 1789. And during the, during the period of the smallpox pandemic, what did they do? Oh, I don't know. They issued the Declaration of Independence. They fought a war. They beat, uh, they beat the British. Then uh, shortly thereafter, they instituted the Articles of Confederation. After that, they created the Constitution. After that, they ratified it. And then they uh, wrote the Bill of Rights. This was all during a pandemic of monumental proportions. And, uh, and one of the ways that you interpret some of the legal documents is how they were employed by the people that wrote them. And the folks that wrote the Constitution darn well knew how to write in an exception for a pandemic that they were living through at the time. They didn't write any exceptions into it, and that's how we know there are no pandemic exceptions to the Constitution. Do you believe Governor Pritzker 
overstepped his authority during the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. In 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 many ways, uh, not the not the least of which, of course, is um, is failure to obey Illinois law. But we were let down by not Mr. Not only Mr. Pritzker, we were let down by the Illinois Attorney General, Mr. Raul, because um, of course the Illinois law says he can assume powers for extraordinary powers for 30 days, uh, and this whole thing about having extensions, 130 day, 130 day, 130 day after 30 days for, I think, about 30 extensions, something something like that, two and a half years. Um, that's contrary to Illinois law. And of course, we have a feckless legislature. The legislature should have also stood up. But Raul um, is there and uh, says, oh, no, um, he can do this uh, consecutive 30 days. That's not the way the law is in Illinois. In fact, there was a 2000, uh, 2000 attorney general opinion by Jim Ryan that's, uh, that interpreted that law and specifically said it's only good for 30 days and then you have to go to the legislature. He uh, violated all kinds of things. Our First Amendment rights uh, of speech and association, right to travel. Right they, to worship. Yeah, right to worship. They had multiple lawsuits. I filed one lawsuit on behalf of uh, Standing in the Word Ministries in, uh, in Grundy County, Illinois, and we had that church open in two weeks. They tromped all over the Constitution, and then in all the blue states they did it. Uh, it was not just, uh, was not just Pritzker. Well, uh, does the legislature need to revisit these emergency orders? Because you could come up with any kind of emergency if you wanted to use it for political gains or whatever. Yeah, no, you use them for power. And, you know, they're not they, those emergencies are not about uh, political gain or whatever. Uh, they're they're about exercising political power. You know, and this is a, this is a bad bad way to run a government. Absolutely. Yeah. Amendment one. You're mounting a legal challenge to it. Amendment one has to do with unions here in the state. And Amendment one is supposed to. Uh, theoretically allow and protect certain kinds of uh, collective bargaining rights for unions generally or was marketed as a workers' rights amendment when all it did, in fact, was give additional authority to uh, public sector unions and essentially create a fourth branch of government in public sector unions. But the problem is is that it was supposedly on the ballot in uh, November of um, 2022, and uh, theoretically uh, the uh, Illinois State Board of Elections says we had, the people of Illinois had amended our Constitution. Constitution doesn't belong to the legislature, right? Constitution belongs to the people of the state. And uh, the problem is, is that the actual language of Amendment 1 was not on anybody's ballot any place in the state. It was just an explanation that uh, somebody in the legislature thought, well, this will sound nice. And so the people of Illinois did not vote on the actual amendment. So did they leave that off on purpose? Uh, you know how an amendment gets on the ballot by in um, in Illinois is uh, at least at least this kind of an amendment uh, gets on by a vote of sixty percent of the both houses of the um, legislature and the terms of what will be listed on the ballot by the uh, local election authorities results from the resolution of the sixty um, percent of the two two houses of the uh, legislature. So the legislature obviously knew what they were doing. They also knew that the Illinois Constitution requires uh, the text of the amendment, but when they passed their resolution, the uh, resolution they passed did not include the text, and it gave direction to the local election authorities to publish the explanation and not the text. Well, it looks like Amendment 1 is here to stay, but you're saying that maybe not. Maybe not. Um, We certainly hope not, because 
you know, you would like to think uh, that when people vote on something, what they're voting on is actually in front of them at the moment they're casting their ballot, uh, would, as opposed to being, say, uh, candidate Y, uh, whose name we're not going to tell you, but believes everything that you believe is on the ballot here. So a vote for candidate Y is a vote for everything you believe. That's essentially what, uh, what the ballot looked like for Amendment 1. And we're uh, saying that that's illegal. Uh, and um, so there's um, five citizens, uh, including folks from the uh, Illinois Freedom Alliance, um, and then I've um, counseled them, and then uh, recently I appeared with them in court, and we argued um, this matter and said um, and asked the judge to uh, declare that election null and void. At the first level, the judge uh, some, somehow or other determined that he didn't have the authority to make a decision. And so— um, No, he doesn't. Who does? It's a good question, uh, Monty. Uh, you know, courts in Illinois are what they call courts of general jurisdiction. They're not like federal courts that have limited jurisdiction, but courts in Illinois have what they call general jurisdiction. And so uh, we're obviously preparing first probably a motion to reconsider to ask the judge to rethink what he had to say. And then uh, should he not, uh, not change his mind, then we're preparing to appeal this. We have reason to believe, you know, Illinois Family Institute and uh, Illinois Family Action to believe that state lawmakers, pro-abortion state lawmakers, will try to push through a state constitutional amendment that would protect abortion in Illinois. Your thoughts? If they try and put it on the ballot and not put the actual words on, I'm sure there's this time around people are going to be ahead of the game and see about preventing that from being on the ballot. So it'd be tough to challenge this in the court system if they met all the guidelines. If they met all the guidelines, I, I don't see how they how it could be rolled back. That uh, um, in terms of uh, in terms of creating such a if you will right to an abortion, which of course does not exist at the moment, you know, uh, and it never it never did. Um, Roe versus Wade is a whole other subject that we're not going to have time to talk about. Sure, but if it is put into our state constitution, it would be really hard to overturn that. Be very very difficult to overturn that. Yes. We talked about a vocal and active minority, you know, at the, at the outset uh, of what people need to be. That's where, where people need to be. They, um, Illinois Family Action does such a great job of making people aware of what's the kind of things that are pending in, um, pending in, this, in Springfield. I certainly would uh, encourage folks to follow the work that you guys do in terms of keeping up to date on what the law could become. Not what it is, but what it could become, because that's when you can be active. Okay. Oh, thanks for the nice plug, by the way, David. <laughs> uh, the Will County Clerk's race. Uh, incumbent Democrat Lauren Staley sworn in for another term. Right. But Republican challenger Gretchen Fritz has a court challenge. You're part of that case and believe there are some election irregularities. What are you seeing? A couple of days after, uh, after the election, Gretchen, uh, whom I've known for some time, uh, called me and said, uh, Dave, this, this, is, this is really curious. She said, as we're looking at the, uh, at the precinct data, uh, Lauren Staley Ferry, her, uh, her opponent, is getting more votes in every precinct than uh, J.B. Pritzker, which uh, is not impossible, right? It's, I mean, it, it's possible that that can happen, but it's unusual because, generally speaking, uh, people vote at the elections that they have the most uh, most press, most media, most uh, publicity, and then uh, as you get further down the ballot, they've heard less and less, and the clerk's office is about two-thirds of the way down the ballot. There's a whole lot of offices before you get to the clerk's office. I said, that's very strange. So, I said, send me the data. And I've been involved in a variety of election matters around the country for quite a number 
several years. And uh, so as a result of that, I know some, uh, some folks that have some skills in this area. And I sent, this, I sent the Will County material out to a fellow by the name of Edward Solomon in New York. Edward called me back in a couple of days and said, Dave, you know, it's, this is very strange. There's six variables um, in a um, two-person election these days. There's the election day vote, there's the early vote, and then there's the mail-in ballots. Times two is uh, six different variables. And um, Edward says, you know, I'm, I'm precinct one, as it turns out, if you know the election uh, day vote of uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Fritz and divide that into the variables of the um, prior to election day vote of uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Staley Ferry, uh, I can tell you the results of the other variables. And he said, you know, that's interesting. And it happened in one precinct. He said, but then once I discovered that, I tried it on the second precinct and the third and the fourth and the fifth. And as it turns out, the same formulation works in all 310 precincts for the Will County Clerk's race. This is an utter impossibility. After I got that uh, information from, um, from Edward, I sent it to another fellow by the name of um, Dr. Walter Doherty, who I've known through my election activities. And uh, Dr. Doherty actually is also a consultant on the uh, Cary Lake matters going on in uh, Arizona. Arizona. Yep. Uh, he's involved in that. He's also a professor emeritus from um, Texas A&M University on statistics and mathematics and computer science. Smart guy, Dr. Doherty. And uh, Dr. Doherty called me back in a couple of days himself. He said, Dave, this election was not decided by the people of Will County. This election was decided by a mathematical formula. If you well, take, how they pull that off? You know, that's a that's a that's a different kind of question, uh, and that's one. Uh, strangely enough, the judge has been asking me regularly, and uh, frankly, those kinds of things are what we've proven is that the election was not decided by the voters. And as yet, they've been working very very hard to not have Dr. Doherty or Mr. Solomon testify in a courtroom. They're trying their very, very best to keep those guys out of court. So you'd like to see the results overturned in a new election? That's exactly right. These numbers don't tell us who won. The numbers tell us that it was not the voters, it was not the will of the voters of Will County. And that's why we're asking for a new election, and we're asking they be hand-counted. Now, the matter of $40,000. There was a motion to dismiss our, our case, and... That uh, motion for the other team was granted, and I was getting all ready to file the appeal to go to the appellate court to explain why this was improper to dismiss this case. And uh, the um, lawyer for the other side filed a um, what they call a petition for sanctions and fees, saying that um, we should uh, pay $40,000 in Ms. Staley Ferry's uh, legal fees and uh, costs because we filed a frivolous lawsuit. And we believe that there's enough facts and law because uh, the law of the uh, state of Illinois actually gives the judge authority to uh, overturn an election or null an election if the wrongdoing or uh, the results uh, are so wrong as to uh, pervasively say we can't tell who won. And that's our contention is these, these things prove that we can't tell who won. And so now they're trying to bill us $40,000 for that. Now i got to defend that too. And by the way, we're doing this for... Um, pro bono. We're doing this because we think it's right. We think we need to have this, this heard in a courtroom. David, so is this formula, this algorithm being used or has it been used in other elections? Do you know? There are other elections that indicate the same kind of, uh, same kind of execution. Uh, the algorithms are apparently vary. Uh, from, they're not always used uh, in the same fashion. Lots of problems with the 2020 election. Yes. And you could probably find some in the 2022 midterm elections. How do we ensure that we have a fair 
2024 election. There are multiple opportunities for everybody to uh, be involved in doing that. Um, certainly, uh, if you, you're not comfortable, you don't think you have expertise, certainly participate in terms of being an election judge, poll watcher, all the uh, all the political organizations have poll watchers. Those are things that folks that aren't necessarily educated in the details of election law can, can participate and do. I will tell you, the more eyes there are on balance, the more the less opportunity there is to to mess with them. There's plenty of security holes in the course of the system. And one of the things you want to make sure you do is guarantee your own vote. Make sure you voted yourself and make sure your vote was recorded and get the record from the uh, State Board of Elections that says you voted and it matches up with when you cast your ballot as opposed because you should be able to tell whether it was mail early or election day. Uh, So if you police your own vote, uh, that's certainly a place to start. Mail-in balloting, it's here to stay. And for the time being. <laughs> yeah, for the time being. <laughs> well, I don't see it changing any time soon no. here in Illinois, especially. So if you use a mail-in ballot, what do you have to do to make sure your vote is counted? There is a system by which your ballot gets tracked, theoretically, and then uh, your, your own vote history, which you're entitled to, um, entitled to see. And then um, you should be able to see when it was received and when it was counted. Tell you the truth, in the end, though, that doesn't tell you that they counted your vote. They counted your ballot that came in. That doesn't necessarily tell you that the ballot that they counted was yours. Explain. What do you mean by that? I mean there are plenty of people that have access to blank ballots, and uh, there's plenty of people when a, when a, when a ballot comes comes into place, they can open it up. What's to prevent somebody from saying, "Okay, uh, we got Monty Lurk's ballot. Check him off his voting," and then ship something else through the machine? Oh, my. What's there? We don't have enough people. We don't have enough eyes uh, on the uh, process when they're doing this. And, of course, this goes on for two weeks in uh, Illinois after Election Day. They're assuming the Postal Service is that bad that it'll take them two weeks to get the ballots in. I think that uh, anytime there's a, somebody between the voter and the ballot box, we cannot trust the ultimate outcome of the election. Because how many hands touch that ballot between the time you put it in a postal box and the time that it gets into the machine? There's no chain of custody. We have no idea. Right. Yeah, but there's no chain of custody. We, nobody can prove that wasn't your ballot that got counted, but nobody can prove that it was your ballot that got counted. The only proof that you can ever have is physically doing it in person. Well, how do people connect with David Shistokas? I've got my regular website, shistokas.com, S-H-E-S-T-O-K-A-S.com. I tweet at, at Shistokas. I've been, you know, I got a fairly unique name, so I can use it for everything. How do you spell it? S-H-E-S-T-O-K-A-S. Thank you, David. God bless you. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute and Illinois Family Action. Please save the date. Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. We're bringing in Eric Metaxas, best-selling author and syndicated broadcaster, Eric Metaxas, to our Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet. If you'd like more information, you can click events at IllinoisFamily.org. Hope to see you there. And do tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. And until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.